Hi everyone, welcome to the Charvak podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. All right, today's podcast is about the book Ramayana Unraveled and to discuss that is we have the author of the book Ami Ami welcome. Namaste everybody. Hi Kushal. Glad to be back. I guess almost exactly after a year. Yes, after a year. So obviously, last time we spoke on the podcast was about your book uh, Mahabharata Unraveled. Now we are talking about Ramayana. So, मतलब was this part of the plan कि पहले तूने रामायण करनी थी मतलब महाभारत करनी थी फिर रामायण पे focus करना था मतलब शरीयंत्र रचे जा रहे हैं तुम्हारे यार महाभारत का भी plan नहीं था रामायण का भी ऐसे कुछ सोच के नहीं करा था but I think once महाभारत got written and uh, the feedback that I got so we were studying रामायण जैसे तू भी तेरा करता था ना you do your रामायण reading I was also doing as you know right we were doing pretty much in parallel so uh, after mahabharat and given that people really appreciated the kind of uh, information that the book had it just seemed like the next step um, and yeah i was i was personally very fascinated as i studied the ramayana so i thought it was important to bring out the aspects from valmiki ramayana uh, so so next. maybe we can start with this theme uh, so obviously you have covered uh, the two itihasas now as an author now let's first start today's discussion with the breakdown of what it means when we use the word itihasa in our context now i'll tell you why because main abhi north america mein baitha hu yahan pe maine khud abhi jitna maine ab main libraries bhi do ek ka dukka hi gaya hu main abhi tak zyada ja nahi paya hu been on the road most of the time iske liye thodi dikkat ho rahi hai but now i'll have some sp- spare time to i intend to get into libraries check out a few books uh, on indology basically meko indology ki kitabe karni hai aur kuch nahi baki to kitabe mil jati hain now let's start with this understanding of how narration of events happens in different cultures now there is a classical uh, you know anglicized way of narrating events and then there has been our way of narrating events how they happened and this is where what is history what is mythology what is fact what is fiction and what is true and what is an exaggeration becomes a extremely confusing way of looking at the world when it comes to our culture and our scriptures and our understanding of reality so so where do you stand on this whole whole itihas what is itihasa subject because i know you touch upon it in the book iske liye maine isse start kiya ha um so i go with the definition given in the shastras of uh, on itihas right so the way we look at itihas is dharma artha kama moksha naam upadesham samanvitam purva vruttam katha yukta itihasam prachakshate purva vruttam something that has happened in the past katha yukta it has elements of allegory it is told in a katha format also because a lot of our itihas mahabharat ramayan times it was oral tradition so to say right so it had to be in a form which was easier to propagate so definitely there is an element of um, katha of allegory in it and it had it had to convey a message a message of what how do you live your life so in a way i look at the way indian itihas is written is like a case study of the gnan which is anyways conveyed through us in many different shastras be it the shruti or the smriti literature so however the purva vruttam part also matters which means there is definitely an event that happened in the past it is not meant just on imagination of some person it is based on an event that has happened but communicated to us in a way that is in the katha format in a story format 
so that is what i that is how i understand itihas and that is how i think how our itihas is especially mahabharat ramayan are written so we have only two granthas which are clearly categorized as itihas later on there is this whole tradition of akhyayika yeah which is also sort of considered itihas but it is in the literature which are written about um, which are stories about kings and kingdoms and all of that they also have an historical element but they are also have an aspect of katha even in those so so would itihasa in that case be like a creation of a story uh i'm trying to understand because there's no clearly equivalent word in english but there are lines in english that can be used to explain this like you know how in a movie sometimes they say this is this feature film is based on true events you know how they say like these events happened this is not the exact narration of how they happened we have added elements that may be far away from the reality and we have exaggerated the reality because of uh, multiple reasons um one could be the format we choose to write it in and clearly the format over here is poetry because these are poet yeah they are they are poetic uh, forms of explaining what has happened in the past two is that we have to make it digestible to the reader or the consumer of the content itself so we some we sometimes take the liberty of extending what the reality might be which is one of the reasons that you know in the case of the ramayana as you know there are multiple versions of the ramayana multiple versions that differ exceedingly with each other like you you can't have one version compared to the like uh, e- even on a simpler way one of the things that you point in the book is the the difference between the ramcharitamanas and uh, the valmiki ramayana and you actually uh, you know narrate the story of, of the ramcharitamanas and the valmiki ramayana and how certain stories in the ramcharitamanas and in the valmiki ramayana vary vary with each other so would that be a better understanding of when we as indians we as hindus try to explain what itihas is to the other audience so i would um, i i agree with you largely though i would say that there it is important to differentiate between retellings and what we understand as the itihas per se yeah so ramcharitmanas kamba ramayana adhyatmik ramayana adhyatma ramayana all of that i consider as retellings of some version of the story of ram that existed which comes to us from valmiki ramayana so even amongst all these to me primary text to understand itihas would be a manuscript of valmiki ramayana yeah that is what i would definitely go back to now within valmiki ramayana are there elements of exaggeration are there elements which are metaphorical yes even in that i would say so so if say ramcharitmanas has an incident and valmiki ramayana has an incident and if they vary i would go with valmiki ramayana incident as the truer version per se but within valmiki ramayana there could be elements which are metaphorical as well as exaggerated exactly for what we discussed to propagate it well to make people understand that story properly and make it easily consumable yeah but even in the case of the valmiki ramayana all these things equally matter right we don't even have to compare valmiki ramayana with the other say 200 plus versions of the ramayana that exist in the marketplace of ideas 
even inside the Malmiki Namayad, the pattern of narration of events is used in this exact format, right? It is uh, a poetic form. It is used in a storytelling right. format. Right. And it has a lot of exaggerations from what... If if I was to take the Ramayana literally, then like then I would run into many problems because then I can't prove many things. But, you know, even when you read the Ramayana, at least that's what my experience was, that a lot of incidents which are otherwise considered to be metaphorical are actually not metaphorical in the Ramayana per se, right? Let's take an example of the building of the Nalasetu. Okay, now... Nalasetu, the typical understanding we have with the story which we hear is Ramji ke naam ke patthar li aur pani pe li aur wo This is what we typically are known. This is what we typically know. Now in Valmiki Ramayana, that is not the case. In Valmiki Ramayana, they actually talk about how these guys built a setu using huge trees, using, you know, barks of trees, using boulders, using mountains. Now, the question could be, oh, but how are they so, so strong that mountains would have fake there? There, I think maybe there is an exaggeration over there. But the construction per se is of a setu, how a setu would have been constructed. Yeah. So that itself is different from what we understand. Take the example of the Lakshman Rekha. There is no mention of such a Lakshman Rekha in Valmiki Ramayana. Valmi and even otherwise, I think of Lakshman Rekha more as a as a figurative speech where Sita actually crosses the limit of, you know, how she spoke to Lakshman in that incident, probably out of anger, out of concern for whatever reason. So the way Lakshman Rekha has eventually been portrayed in later retellings is more figurative. It is not a real Lakshman Rekha, which we don't find in Valmiki Ramayana. So in that sense, I find Valmiki Ramayana to be a lot more real than the other retellings that we've co we come across. Yes, yeah, as far as my version of the Setu is different and I've mentioned this on my Patreon sessions also. I, there are natural phenomena that ex can clearly explain what happens, what has happened in that structure over there that lies yeah. underwater right now. We don't need any story to explain that. This is my view and people can disagree with me. You can explain that with natural phenomena. Now, uh, now this also I think we need to discuss. A lot of times... Uh, what today we have in the popular culture is obviously, you know, the 1980s Ramayana series by Ramanan Sagar. And and that has captured the popular, uh, popular imagination of the country. And a lot of stories in that, this version Ramanan Sagar used, was more from the Ramcharitmanas and a few other versions than actually from the Valmiki Ramayana. And what has happened is, in the in, even in the case of a mindset of many Hindus, they actually do consider those things to be th the truth in the Valmiki Ramayana. Now, what was your reaction when, you know, in your sessions, when you actually tell people that, you know, Lakshman Rekha, there is no such thing as the Lakshman Rekha story, literally in the Valmiki Ramayana. So uh, wh what are the reactions of these people? Like in my case, I'll tell you, the people were shocked that Lakshman Rekha was not real. <laughs> I think ek, I'll tell you an incident. So we were discussing Yuddha Kant of Chalradha. And everybody said, And I was like, actually, there is no Gada Hanumanji. That, that imagery itself is a later day edition. And there is this uh, very sweet guy who joins our session. And he's like, Are you telling me Hanumanji doesn't hold a Gada? And it does. I mean, you know, 
वी आर अटैच टू दैट इमेज राइट आज भी हम हनुमान जी को गदा के बिना नहीं देख सकते एंड ओरिजिनल पोर्ट्रियल में देर इज नो गदा सो यज कम एज अ शॉक टू अ लॉर्ड ऑफ पीपल एंड ऑल्सो आई थिंक सम ऑफ दीज थिंग्स डोंट रियली मैटर ठीक है चलो यू नो इफ यू थिंक ही हैज अ गदा डजेंट हैव अ गदा big deal it doesn't change so much so people can still continue to uh, believe what they do but yeah <laughs> it does come as a shock okay now let me try the i don't know i'm just giving you this argument although i i am on your side why should we consider the valmiki ramayan the primary text because so 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 there are two three things here right when we say there are multiple versions of valmiki ramayan all the versions eventually go back to rishi valmiki so they start off with vandan to rishi valmiki we can see that in uh, in ramcharitmanas as well right they all eventually talk about valmiki and so it is very clear that all those versions are based of valmiki ramayan that is one second even in the categorization that we have what is called as itihas is actually valmiki ramayan so going by that and of course yeah so by this i go back to valmiki ramayana as a key version there is no ramayana before that so basically uh, and why wh- what is the importance of a primary text in in your view um, as an author now who has written two fantastic summaries of epics in india why is it important to consider the primary text what wh- what is so unique about the primary text as in I mean, why not write a summary based on the Ramcharitmanas? If I was to play, I mean, that. we can we can write based on Ramcharitmanas. I have no problems with people doing that. However, I think there are two three things, right? Um, itihas for us, as we were just discussing, it is not just pure documentation of facts. It is more than that. It is supposed to convey a certain message, a certain. approach to living lives like it is an upadesh for dharmartha kamoksh the purushartha people have been learning from these texts learning the learning the way of living life learning a way of managing their dharma sankats of understanding what ethical dilemmas even are and understanding what dharma is so if we want to take the right lessons from the text it is important to know the story as it is and not just based on somebody's imagination that is one as factor in my mind the second factor is more i would say political in nature and that is today a lot of lot of narrative building happens around our past right there are stories of our past told to us and that is sort of imposed on us as an identity ki are aap log to aise hi ho aap log to jatiwadi the aap log to misogynist the theek hai ab i am not saying we have to defend anything but we at least have to know what the truth was was it really that let us go back and figure out and in many cases it does turn out that what has been told to us is actually not the case right and i find it very interesting on one end our history or itihas is sort of junked as mythology agar kuch acha hai to it is junked as mythology agar kuch bura hai jisse narrative building ho sakta hai then we go back and take those examples as well so my point is very simple we need to start owning our narrative and the owning of the narrative can only happen when we go back to the primary text per se which is used for setting the agenda and propaganda yeah it could be that also i have never understood this particular trend that uh, 
I'll because you mentioned misogyny and caste in this, so I'll 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 work on that. There is no culture on planet Earth which was not misogynistic, or if you don't want to use the word caste, or did not have hierarchical structures which were and look hierarchies are a byproduct of agriculture. All societies post agriculture had societies, uh, had hierarchies. You know, whether it's the Greek uh, Plato's Republic that talks about a three-tier system, whereas the Christian cultures that also have this, the British society and its robust class system that they couch it better. I mean, they called it class. Every culture has hierarchies. What we should be debating about as humanists and human beings is. how fluid are those hierarchies and at different points of time different different cultures had different uh, fluidity levels in these hierarchies and definitely india messed up at that as far as the misogyny angle is concerned look i have been very clear this has been my view on social media i have said it again and again all religions in varying degrees give women a raw deal i say this again on this discussion with full responsibility and nobody has to disagree with me as someone who has been a humble student of religion for the last 15 years in fact my biggest question to every woman is why are you a believer <laughs> i i i always ask this to women i mean you know me for 10 years main tujhe 10 saal se ye question pooch raha hu <laughs> so and we have discussed this often um, kushal right so you know my my take is this on this issue right सो कास्ट का तो तूने बोल दिया आई फुल्ली अग्री फगेट फगेट कास्ट राइट आज भी आप देखो डोंट वी हैव अ हायरार्की इन टर्म्स ऑफ एलिट्स हु थिंक दैट दे हैव द ओनली राइट टू यू नो फ्री स्पीच सो व्हेन डेमोक्रेसी इज ग्रेट बट व्हेन द रिजल्ट्स ऑफ द डेमोक्रेसी आर अगेंस्ट देम दे वांट टू बैन डेमोक्रेसी दे वांट टू बैन सर्टेन पीपल फ्रॉम वोटिंग राइट सो ये हायरार्की तो पावर स्ट्रगल तो हर जगह होता ही है एंड इतने सालों से रहा है एंड इन सम वे वी हैड दैट विवान द वर्ना स्ट्रक्चर the idea of which was hierarchy in some way but it also was to ensure that all types of people get some kind of ajivika right everybody should have the kind of income that they want the issue becomes when one group starts oppressing the other group and stops their growth opportunities also what happens is some of this is more organic as well because technology also goes up and down uske sath sath bhi changes hota hai so as you very rightly said was there fluidity or was there not fluidity that is one but the second is also some incidents which are conveyed to us in a manner that there was some kind of oppression and hence you were always like that but when you go back to the text there was nothing like that right that that is also another angle to it where it comes to misogyny i actually differ with you slightly because the way i see this right were there stricter norms about the role of a woman in the society versus what there is today definitely there was right no doubts about it but then the same kind of uh restrictions if i may were on men as well were on a large part of the society the whole rights movements that we see now was not there not even for men forget women or anybody right so i don't think one we can we should so in today's context they will all look at look at look like misogyny so to say but i would say we need to differentiate there also there might be some statements made which look like misogyny but would it did it boil down to hating women i don't think so did it boil down to women not having a say in their life i don't think so did women not make decisions of their life i don't think so right 
because as far as i have seen and studied the women in ramayan let's take ramayan per se right ram's life has been shaped by the women in his life right from kekai to shukpanakha to sita to everybody he has been one person who has actually well uh, has i won't say face the consequences but at every point in time he has not really displayed misogyny so to say he has taken the decisions that have come his way through the women in his life would it would i call it misogyny i wouldn't right there are certain decisions a person has to take because of his position which we can discuss in detail but i don't think of them as misogyny so to say misogyny would mean consistent behavior which is against the benefit of women is that displayed in every action no i would actually so hence i would actually not agree with you on the misogyny part especially in mahabharat ramayana not to say that there were no issues with women at any point in time aisa sab nahi tha theek hai but the whole framework about rights was not existent then so the restrictions which women had other men also had right the roles which elder brother played so to say were he had to live within a framework of what was expected out of him it was more a kartavya duty based society as we were also discussing yesterday right so that will in itself impose certain restrictions which the society lived with and hence just to side take women aside and say misogyny i don't completely agree with that view yeah but it's the men who wrote the rules even those rules were not written by women if you look at a statistical analysis of who wrote the rules most of these formulations it was not like the women were part of the rule making process let's just be crystal clear about that and it's not oh, unique to india i'm not saying not it's unique india. to india it's just the theory of the world it's the world, rule of the world evolution and biology right oh, we yeah. were i don't i don't agree with that. that that's a naturalistic biology. that's a naturalistic no, fallacy right? that's a naturalistic fallacy that that is always people put it down on biology uh, i don't agree with that if if it is all biology why are you know it, it why are women fighting about against it today then if there Because was no are, problem we have access to technology which did not which did not exist then also with time maybe actually the oppression increased which was not the case then right there were clear rules women did this job men did this job women had this right men had that right also today in a lot of rural societies while it does look like oh women are oppressed you see that they end up taking so many more decisions in the house they might be wearing that ghungat right i have seen that in parts of gujarat as well so would i call those women not empowered i don't think so well so not empowered to... is also doesn't mean that they are empowered let's just let's just be very honest there Correct. there are degrees the... of empowerment also like i said the different religions uh, have given women a raw deal in differing degrees also so maybe the degree in which women were given a raw deal and in different contexts also in different areas also like let's take inheritance for example and in inheritance there is no one standard inheritance you know take in hinduism for example i mean there is yeah. a wonderful paper that i have recommended to my patrons uh, when when you know the entire discussion of uh, the hindu code bill was happening so this entire trope being sold that the hindu code bill was just shoved down hindus without any discussion from any section of the society is just bollocks there yes. is a clear cut history of people going back and forth the government reaching out a government of that time started under british india going back and forth and you know what the fascinating aspect is even within the smriti text different smriti texts had different versions on inheritance also so at the end of the day they 
they they got confused and the, the paper is beautiful it is such a wonderful collection of all the debates that happened my point being is for example islam gives a far worse deal i'm just stating it out when it comes to inheritance to women far worse deal than uh, any hindu law would even ancient i'm talking about ancient law to ancient law comparison i'm not talking about the modern indian constitution giving hindu women equal rights but yeah. even on inheritance that the hindu court bill and then the subsequent supreme court judge, uh, judgment i think it was in 2008 don't quote me on it led to hindu women reaching equal rights is itself a deviation from the past so per se de facto the women were not getting an equal share there now i accept your point where in some places in the house hindu women it is very interesting have a far greater say than the hindu men do and that point i accept but that is not unique to hindus either that applies to different cultures and different contexts in the same way so hindus are not unique in that sense is what i am trying to say in fact my point is on the both sides hindu not not unique when people try to put this caste cows and curry you know stereotype about hindus across the world and then hindus are not special when they find something unique which is good also you can find these examples across different cultures and if you study anthropology i know it is uh, now somebody will say anthropology is a western construct well you know the internet is also a western construct maybe you need to get off that also then if you hate western constructs so much i mean that's my point uh, you didn't come up with the internet unfortunately some gora did unfortunately for you it's sad life unless, unless unless you say that indra jal was actually internet <laughs> oh yeah i mean yeah just yeah yeah i mean it, it is uh, yeah, it is what it is but but yeah. you know what i loved about your book and i don't want to wear, spend much time on this misogyny bit because it's quite clear we disagree and we've disagreed on this for a decade yeah. but yeah but uh, this part i found very interesting in your book you say both rama and krishna strove to establish and live by dharma they did what was needed to ensure adharma was destroyed and dharma prevailed by setting the right examples for the sustenance of the society their personalities were different but not their value systems and least of all their understanding of dharma explain this so i'll tell you where this is coming from generally an understanding that or generally हाँ तो मैं कह रही थी कि जनरल जो कई बार कहा जाता है कि कृष्ण जो जी वो तो छली कपटी थे और वो तो अपना एंड के लिए टू गेट टू द एंड ही वुड कॉम्प्रोमाइज ऑन एवरी काइंड ऑफ नीड्स वेर एस राम जो थे वो कैसे थे वो मर्यादा पुरुषोत्तम ही ऑलमोस्ट बॉर्डरिंग टूवर्ड्स बींग स्टबन दैट ही वुड डू ओनली द मीन्स मैटर एंड नॉट सो मच द एंड बिकॉज ही वॉज द मर्यादा पुरुषोत्तम दिस इज अ जनरल image that is drawn for both right and i believe that both of them are these images are very unfair to both of them because actually they were not it was not as if krishna was always only chali kapti right even for the yuddha he tried his best till the end to negotiate and say che bhalo panch gaon hi de do let the war as far as possible we can avoid it of course it didn't get avoided and then you have to do what you need to do to win that's one aspect similarly ram also if you see his life he's not that stubborn kind of a person who who just is like nahi nahi yahi tarika hai and this is the rule book and i'll live by the rule book aisa nahi hai he also was very clear at what point what mattered and he did that and you we see that in different points in their life as well so what mattered is setting the 
right precedence and when i say right precedence i mean it in that context right because one thing which i really like both about mahabharat ramayan even when they explain situations when they explain dharma and they when they explain personalities one word uses desh kalavit so understanding the nuances of time place that that situation is happening in so i'm saying right from that perspective right so setting the right precedence which was needed to ensure that the samaj at that point continued to sustain grow and thrive as much as possible that end goal was similar for both of them where you put your foot down and say ki nahi beyond a point you cannot allow bullies to bully the innocence or to just because you have power you or just because you are vocal enough doesn't mean you will always have your way ye nahi chal sakta at some point you have to put your foot down and set set whatever you know is the ensure you the, there is a social construct and it does doesn't become a martial eye kind of a situation where badi mishli chote mishli ko kha jati hai so that's where i was that's what i wanted to convey through this that the end goal was actually similar for both of them and even maybe personality wise uh, you know ram actually was a lot more expressive and effusive than krishna was the understanding is usually the other way around aise lagta hai ki ram to ekdam you know ekdam emotions bhi nahi dikhate honge whereas krishna is this leela and always you know happy and expressive actually it's the other way around krishna is more yogastha calm even when his family died he is calm not reacting whereas ram at every point in life you see profusely showing emotion right especially this whole uh, situation when sita was kidnapped and his emotions came out at every single point in time this his love came out during the 30 years of vanvas the romantic side of ram the pain of his came out when sita was kidnapped even at times during the vanvas uh, when his regret for what his father did right that also comes out it's interesting people think that are nahi unhone to sab maan liya unhone maan liya he did what he thought was the right thing to do at that point but does not mean that he did not understand where that decision making of his father and his stepmother were coming from and that did hurt him he also showed that hurt to lakshman once in a while right so ram is actually a lot more expressive and effusive than even krishna is but the end goal was still the same and if it meant that means needed to be compromised in that very strict black and white sense both of them did that as well yeah i mean if the the classic case of means uh, needed to be compromise would be what shri ram did uh, to help sugriva right exactly right i mean i think that would be the case But also i you know when people do this comparative analysis of shri ram and shri krishna i just think it's an unfair analysis because of the sheer reason of the difference in the years between the two itihasas now the moral arc in my view keeps expanding and changing as per the changes that are happening actively in your society first right. of all what is the geographical surrounding where the ramayana was written what is the geographical surrounding where uh, let's say the mahabharata or for that matter even the bhagavad gita was written i'm not saying they are drastically different i'm just saying these are multiple variables that need to be considered human beings change in a matter of 200 years give you an context i am in north america in the year 1960 there were jim crow laws that actively promoted segregation right this yeah. is not even 60 years ago 
in a matter of 60 years this society has come from here to here now we are talking about the moral compass and the way of looking at things and handling things between the ramayana and the mahabharata that have a gap of so much more and then we say that oh in here this is this here is that now if you are just doing a comparative analysis for trying to understand both the ethics and maybe pick version x from here version y from there and become a better human being that that i understand but if your comparative analysis is some sort of a gotcha moment for rama i think you need therapy <laughs> that that's what i would say to that person because you know you just in 1960s like again use the example of america lenny bruce a stand up comic was arrested under less free speech norms that america had at that time george carlin was arrested in the united states of america this is the country that had the first amendment since the day its constitution yeah. was made the first amendment on paper and the first amendment in working did not happen for the first few hundred years of the american constitution either the actual culture of absolute free speech in america only started with stand up comics pushing the boundaries why i'm using this as a contemporary example is this that to even try and compare and then then present it as some sort of a gotcha moment i think is intellectually dishonest the people were in completely different eras it's a very simplistic comparison and i think even when you do compare right the conclusions which people come to is usually not based on even the study of the text it is based on kahi suni baatein that is my bigger concern ki kahi sani baaton ke is par hum ram aise krishna aise keh dete and we feel very happy about it ki ha ha chalo and then we justify also right we will have various theories around acha aise ho gaya ab evolution aise ho gaya and ab ram se krishna aise ho gaye vagere vagere so i think it's it's very simplistic if we really even want to learn from their lives it's important to know their lives for what they were rather than being intellectually lazy about just putting an adjective to them and even if i was to take the literal left wing version that these are nothing but stories and they are completely you know mythologies that were written round about the same time i'll tell you why they are long anybody who has understood linguistics will look at the ramayana and look at the mahabharat and understand the linguistic subtle differences anybody who has understood basic linguistics i mean i don't expect it uh, <clears throat> from uh, you know dumb left fingers but still i'm going to try and explain them this basic thing linguistics matter language changes for example in the rigveda there is something called the family books and then there are something called the new books there are old books there are new books you know why they are called old books and new books because they literally have a different language the language itself changes in fact the old books language is very much closer to what you see in the atharva veda or later sanskrit but the early language is very different that's how you know now inside the ramayana and the mahabharata also you will see subtle changes if you read both and you will understand that if you break the root down at times i'm not saying it is very drastic because sanskrit by then was a very developed language at that time yeah, exactly Three, these were written now i am willing to accept one thing that all these books were written much later and collated that is something i'm willing to accept like much written, later written written, written, yeah. written much later in a much more developed language format and there might be even more interpolations coming later on in terms of verses which is in fact shrikant talagiri says this a lot of time that uh, you have to look at certain 
verses in the Ramayana which talk about certain things that simply are not found archaeologically in that era at that time. So how you assume these are interpolations is that um, these come later on. So these are unfair comparisons that people do. And uh, I mean, I don't know why people do it, uh, but they do. Now, another thing that uh, I found very interesting uh, that you have said uh, in one of the questions that you raised in your introduction is that was Lakshmana an angry man as he is thought to be usually or is there more depth to his character? Now, now my question is that for both people, right? People who claim Lakshmana is an angry man and for people who claim Lakshmana is not an angry man. Now, what is the methodology that anybody would come up when it comes to basically, you know, coming up to the conclusion that Lakshmana is or is not an angry man? Yeah, okay. So I want to state this upfront. I'm not saying that he is never angry. Yeah, he's always stoic. No, that's not what I'm saying. One, there are areas where he has shown anger, sometimes even unjustified. And there are areas where he has been this pillar for Ram, extremely stoic, managing him, controlling him when need be. This comparison is actually coming from what is a general understanding because it is, if you see certain places in say Ramcharit Manas or even other retellings, a lot of areas where Lakshman is so shown to get extremely angry, you know, baat baat pe gussa ho jate. In Valmiki Ramayana, some of those incidents are actually Ram getting angry. Yeah, especially around Jo Varun Dev par jab gussa hote hai, the story around how uh, uh, when Varun Dev was not letting them uh, cross to Lanka. In one version, usually they say Lakshman ne gussa kar diya and Ram stopped him. Whereas actually in uh, uh, Valmiki Ramayana, it is the other way around. It is Ram getting angry and Lakshman controlling him. When they couldn't find Sita, Ram was the one to say that Sacharacharam Vinashami, Vinashyami, I will destroy everything. And Lakshman is like, Are, you know, you are your anger is not at the right person. I mean, you are trying to destroy the world, but actually the world hasn't done to you anything. Let's calm down, let's relax, and let's focus our energies on finding Sita, right? So there have been this instance instances as well. However, in the first part of Ramayana, when Ram is asked to, when Sri Ram is asked to go for Vanvas, of course, it is actually Lakshman who is very, very angry. And he actually says that our, our Pitta, he's become Kami under the influence of just Kam Vasana. He's taking this decision, which he shouldn't be taking. So, Badhyatamva, Vadhyatamva, either kill him or arrest him. This is also what Lakshman is saying. So, there are chances, there are times when he's very, very angry. But then, when Ram was in that emotionally, uh, you know, uh, uh, emotionally susceptible position where he need the vulnerable position where he needed support and emotional uh, backing, Lakshman was the one who stood by him in every at every point. So according to me, Lakshman actually has an extremely high emotional portion to talk of it in today's terms, rather than call him always angry, angry young man or not angry young man. I don't think that angry young man justifies his character, so to say, but that doesn't mean he never got angry. I, what I meant to say is he's actually a lot more emotionally mature than his usual uh, portrayal on in mainstream understanding. I don't know, you know, understanding the character of Lakshman, 
or Lakshmana, however you want to pronounce it. South Indians might say Lakshmana, North Indians might say Lakshman. So have at it, North Indians and South Indians. Um, is like looking at my Twitter handle and trying to understand me as a person. Right? Now, I can only understand what I see. Now, if you want to do an ideal analysis is you look at all the uh, things that uh, are uttered in the Ramayana from Lakshman. You do an analysis. You create 10, 20, 30 categories based on emotional uh, standards. Angry, miffed, etc, etc, etc. Happy, ecstatic, sad, mildly sad and then you study them and you put there and then maybe you can form that. I mean, if you want to. Um, my reading of the Ramayana definitely has been that he is uh, the right word. You have used the right word. He is a very emotional person and he does not hide his emotions. And sometimes uh, the emotions that come off do tend to come off as extreme anger, but the emotions also come off as extreme love. The love also is extreme then. The love, uh, I mean, like his love for his brother. His love for his brother is uh, mind-boggling, to say the least. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so, so to me, me I, that is important. Yeah. No, actually, I see a change in Lakshman's personality over... I mean, I won't say change, right? But at least the way he has handled. He is definitely more livid initially when... Ram is asked to go for Vanvas. Even after that, when people are, when Sumat, Sumatra actually left them uh, uh, to, at Shringwerpur and left and went and he asked everybody, what is the message you want to take back? Lakshman was like, you know, my father, my father, I don't even consider him my father. So all that, that's what when Ram is in that position, where Ram is like, I feel really upset. I don't know if Bharat and Kaikaya are going to take care of Kaushalya. Unka kya hoga? I hope unke pressure ke Dashrat doesn't lose his life. Bagere, bagere. Of course, this episode, some people explain it saying that, no, no, Ram was only testing Lakshman. That's a different thing. But some commentators say that. But anyways, in Valmiki Ramayana, it comes very clearly. That he tells Lakshman, ki tum wapas chale jao, because we don't know what Bharat and Kaikaya would do to our mother and father. And at that point, when Ram is in that position, Lakshman does not lose his anger. Jo he was losing, right? And in this situation, he's like, no, no, you don't worry. It's going to be all fine. We are here with you. I will not leave you and go. And that is the theme you see going forward. Of course, when then Bharat comes and again, Lakshman thinks Bharat to humko and he becomes angry. But again, he cools down very fast when Ram explains and Bharat comes and talks. But after that, Right. Whenever Ram needed him to stand up without even saying that, he did. So, yes, he's emotional, but I also see his emotional maturity develop over time in the different as we go ahead in Ramayana. Hmm. Now, another thing that you touch upon in the book is Ravana. I think we can't have a discussion of Ramayan without Ravan. Ravan Kevina Ramayan Purinioti. After all, key character. So, so you again mentioned this. What led to the downfall of Ravan? Did he refrain from forcing himself on Sita because he cared for her consent? Did he abduct Sita to avenge his sister? So, what is your view? So, um, when Ravan dies, Mandodari makes a very interesting statement. She says, you ruled the world when you controlled your senses, 
but i think these senses that you control eventually took their revenge out on you and started controlling you and when you gave in to them your downfall began this is what mandodidari says after ravan has died okay and this i think pretty much explains ravan's character he had become one extremely ahankari after he got that ye ki bhai koi use maar nahi sakta he became extremely ahankari and he became extremely lustful sita was not the first lady he kidnapped there were many who he had either kidnapped or violated before sita he was not waiting for anybody's consent so to say even the kidnapping of sita people tend to say ki acha apni behan ka badla lene ke liye behan ke respect ke liye usne aisa kara that to be that i actually don't buy at all and there is a reason for that because the behan herself should put up when this whole incident happens and her nose and ears are cut why because she tried to kill sita initially she goes approaches them tells ram marry me ram says ram does some joke and he says nahi nahi i have a wife you marry my brother and lakshman is like no but i am his das so i can't marry you so you better go back to ram and she thinks that these guys are making fun of me because of the woman over there and she tries to kill sita attack she attacks sita and that's when ram says ki no no now you need to punish her this is not done that's when the nose and ears are cut now she could have gone back of course she first goes back to karan dushan and says that you take revenge so that's when 14000 rakshasas they attack ram and ram single handedly kills all of them that's when shurpanakha goes to ravan when she goes to ravan that scene itself is very interesting ravan has no clue that 14000 of his men have actually been killed in janasthan he is happy he is reveling in his pleasure and shurpanakha then tells him that what are you doing raja hone ke nate aapka kya kartavya aapko ye bhi nahi malum aapke rajya mein chal kya raha hai and then to get ravan to actually go and take sita she lies to him she knows his weak spot she knows ravan is extremely lustful and once the lust takes over he has no control over what he does vivek buddhi sari chali jati hai so she tells him that you see this halat of mine mere naak aur kaan jo kaate hain wo kis kyun kaata because there is this extremely beautiful wife of ram who is like a mani whoever she does whoever she hugs is like a devta that is the luck of that man and she goes on to explain every feature of sita and she says i was actually going to get sita for you because she is tavarupa bharya like who is this lady yeah his his body is in pain he now wants her and that's when he goes and kidnaps that's whole thing happens he goes to marich and gets gets his help to kidnap sita so it was not out of some respect for his sister it was not out of uh, you know some kartavya bodha no it was pure and pure out of lust to say now i need this woman how dare somebody stop my sister from getting her for me yeah the, so that's one aspect the other aspect of waiting for sita's consent he waited for sita's consent because he was afraid that this time because iske pehle bahut striyon ne usko shrap diya tha 
किसी किसी ने ब्रह्मा जी को जाके कहा था कि पुंजिक हमारे पापो का घड़ा भर गया है दैट इज वाई इज वेटिंग फॉर सीता एंड ही सेज दिस दिस इज नॉट आर ही सेज दिस वेन वन ऑफ हिस मिनिस्टर्स महापार्शो इज लाइक वाट आर वट आर यू वेटिंग फॉर go you don't need to you don't need her permission you go have fun like dogs have fun you go have fun you don't need anybody to tell you ki acha ha and then you do it right and he says no no baba i am little scared and this is the reason because there is some shrap which i am scared of that is why he does not force himself on sita it is not out of any concern consent so the way as i said before what mandodari said that your senses have led to your downfall they you giving into them have led to your downfall and she says it's strange because i actually am better than sita in every way and still you couldn't see me and you went after her she basically ended up being your nemesis all right so now uh, before i start taking questions because kafi aa chuke hain ek last mere ko discussion karna this is more technical and theoretical which i wanted to talk to you from a historical perspective is the authenticity of the uttarakhandam right mm. now we have to discuss this nahi to i think it's unfair on uh, the viewers and listeners of the podcast also now i'll be very clear in my reading of the ramayana i'm putting my view up front so that you know people don't uh, and people who have gone through the ramayana series know this for a fact that i am very clear it seems as if uttarakhand is a later addition to the ramayan in and and i'm putting it does that yeah. mean it should not be part of the ramayan i'm not saying that i'm just saying it's quite clear it looks like a later addition into the ramayan because you know in terms of the subtle moral changes also in the uttarakhandam it is far more problematic in my view in certain areas than the rest of the ramayan you have a clear moral arc in the main ramayan and then the uttarakhandam comes and something changes and uh, some some changes are good some changes in my view are bad but i think it is very important because you do talk about it like i'll read your quote from the book you say scholars of the ramayana are split over the question of the authenticity of uttarakhanda there are very pertinent arguments both in favor and against while the verdict is yet to be pronounced both the baroda critical edition and the greeta press edition of valmiki ramayana have uttarakhanda included in them even the bibek dev roy edition has Uh, hence for this book i have taken interesting uh, stories from uttarakhand as relevant and mentioned them in the notes and the two controversial events i have added them separately in the epilog now why did you decide to do that yeah so to be very honest for the sake of consistency yeah i wanted to ensure that i am honest to the work that i do because if i say uttarakhand nahi hai then a lot of other interesting stories which sort of fill the gap and actually a lot of people say that whole filling gap itself shows that it could have been a later day interpolation yeah fair enough what i'm saying is if i use a source text and if i'm saying that this source text is what i considered as my reference text then i don't really have the adhikar or the qualification to say ye hai ye nahi hai although in some sense if i had to go if i had if i was forced to pronounce it does feel like uttarakhand is a later day edition no doubt about it i wouldn't say no doubt about it but yeah i would be more inclined towards it but then when i take certain stories from uttarakhand 
yeah especially a lot of stories around the 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 birds the the, the lineages um, of especially ravan the stories around his um, abduction of women and stuff right lot of those even this whole uh, ravan bhakti thing the whole poem shankar his whole shiva bhakti thing the stories which i have added they come from uttarakhand now if i say i'll take part of uttarakhand which suits me but part of uttarakhand which does not suit me i'll i will say no to it right and i might still say no to it when largely foreign authors and everybody they write about these episodes they do write about those episodes so i did not want to not include them but i wanted to give the readers that choice to say manna hai ki nahi manna hai ye pehli baat aap par hai but i also wanted to make a second point while i don't know whether these events exactly happened as they were i have a view on reading those two incidents in a certain way and i don't see it necessarily as right or wrong and not necessarily with the angle that is typically communicated yeah be it shambhu khwada be it the giving up of sita especially the giving up of sita part i see it as a major dharma sankat major dharma sankat for a person who is at the level of the raja and that position of raja in those in those days was different from the position of raja now right raja was considered to be a devta his word is nyay so if you are at that position your accountability to the society is even more you have to be above suspicion not just you your family your wife everybody has to be above suspicion which means there may be a situation where your pati dharma and your raj dharma might come in complete conflict and you might be faced with a situation where none of the options available to you are really optimal and you still have to make that call how do you make that call is the question ram is faced with in that situation and he took a certain stand which he took which he thought might be for the greater good we are we may agree or not agree with him but that was a real situation a dharma sankat situation and we all may be faced with it and maybe there is a way for us to learn from that incident in our own lives right that if we are faced with this situation what do we do in a way it is not very different from what arjun was faced with to kill your family members or to live your kshatriya dharma because in a way it was a fight for uh, dharma right it was a fight against injustice what do you do at that point killing your family it is not the greatest good out there in a way right your entire family is destroyed yaar apne sare bachche unke mar gaye usme so it was also a suboptimal choice but you have to make that choice at some point in time and unfortunately this was the situation ram was faced with somewhere i think sita understood that but yes when it became too much second time when she was asked ki bhai ab kya and she said nahi i have not hated you i have been with you in all these decisions i have also understood why you've taken those decisions i have fulfilled my role at every point as your sahadharmacharini but not anymore and i draw a line there that is what she did so for me it is this you know how do you say some situations which you really don't have a way out of and you continue to you have to continue to live and you have to make that decision so that is how i have tried to look at that incident but as i said because i have put in a lot of my own view there i wanted to keep it separate to let people know very clearly what is from ramayan ramayan and what is my own view
fair enough i think that that i think you've tried to be intellectually honest there which is admirable like in my case i clearly believe the uttarakhand is uh, a clear later interpolation whether it works in favor of the ramayana sometimes in some views and uh, sometimes uh, actually more often than not i think the more problematic verses in my analysis come out of there problematic in my view but uh, i definitely feel it is a later addition to the valmiki ramayana i believe the the story suddenly changes and and there is a lot of post hoc rationalizing in the uttar ramayana uttarakhandam right you know there is you you clearly see okay ye yahan pe likha hua hai abhi iski justification kaise kar rahe to hum yahan pe apne tarike se uski justification kar rahe hain but i believe you have tried to take the much more intellectually honest and tough path so kudos to you for that mai to nahi karta mai to just usko side mein kar deta tha aur bolta tha interpolation <laughs> i don't touch it again i'll give you an example even in the rigveda right there are uh, even in the family books there are certain verses that are considered to be later interpolations and this is a uh, this is a consensus across scholars of indian origin and western origin in all indologists like indologists have come up with uh, this list which they call verses that are later interpolations in the rigveda also i'm talking about the family books not in the latter books in the early books so it is a very common thing that people do talk about it but chalo now enough of you and i talking now let us I take questions one point there kushal what sure. are the reason why i also kept it is because i genuinely believe that there might be something for us to gain from those incidents also they may or may not be true but just given that situation even if it was hypothetical so to say there is definitely something for us to learn and something for us to question and gain in our own life so i found value in that for, to be very honest and people can take their call when they read it so that's why i left it in there absolutely, i kept it absolutely. there yeah, intentionally i i uh, i 100% i mean imagine starting with this question abhi main kya karu but uh, viewer has asked it so i'm going to ask you was pushpak viman a flying aircraft or a divine vehicle if it was a flying vehicle why no technical details are available in our text yaar come on yaar kya yaar i don't know as i said right there are aspects which are metaphorical are they speaking of pushpak viman as something that flew yes they are so i i don't really i don't have any more technical understanding of it than any of you yeah so uh, yeah that's where i would be yeah my answer is simple it is not real let's get real i i don't have any problems and if somebody's sentiments are hurt let them be hurt i don't care i mean it's not real let's get real if there is show me the evidence there is no evidence there is no archaeological evidence there, there is, is no archaeological evidence. evidence but does the text talk about it yes it does now was it metaphorical yeah. was it not i don't know but the text does talk about it but there are no technical details there is no design nothing of that sort is given yeah it it is it is an exaggeration i, I am answering it okay This question is good. How much time does Amiji usually dedicate to researching the topic, and at what point does she realize that the research is enough to complete the book? How how do I say this? Right, it's uh because I was not. I am more of an accidental author. Let's put it that way. It was never a plan. Ki likhna hai. Things turned out in a certain way. However. I have been studying out of my interest for a long time. So I like Kushal says, like we've known each other for a long time. लिखने का तो अभी हुआ. But these were the topics we have been talk talking about. Sanskrit was something of interest to me. I was learning it out of interest. Reading was out of interest. Mahabharat studying because I wanted to read the original, 
the questions were what I genuinely had, which you see in Ramayana and even Mahabharat, were the questions I had. So the whole study was to satisfy my curiosity, let's say. And that is how the writing happened. So do I have a you know, perfect answer to answer this? Actually, I don't. I just felt after, so Mahabharat, I think we studied for a year and a half, over a year and a half. And after that, I started writing also because I had time. Mahabharat was, I had been anyways reading it for like two, three years before I started writing it out of my curiosity. All right. So the next question is, according to Nileshok, Lanka described in the Valmiki Ramayana is different from the Lanka that exists today. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, as I said, in can we say this based on Ramayana per se? I don't know because that is not my study of interest. Do we, does it talk about 100 Yojan going straight? Yes, all that it does. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I, I actually don't know. That is not my area of study at all. Hmm. All right. So, next question. Uh, okay, somebody said, is podcast ka Hindi version karo, please. So, Hindi version ho gaya, wo ja ke dekh lena. Uh, Okay, many people have tried to, this is an excellent question. Okay, and I want to spend some time on this one because this is something that is my area of interest also. Many people have tried to date the Mahabharata based on astronomical references and archaeological data. Other than Nilesh Nilkantork, is there any attempt to date the Ramayana? Is it even possible? Uh, first, you can answer. I can also give an answer on this. I think a lot of people have tried to uh, date Ramayana based on astronomical uh, observations. But then again, I would let Kushal, you you take this because I don't have a very strong view on that. My interest is more from an Aitihasik and a Shastrik perspective on Ramayana. So you take this. Yeah, so here's the point. Uh, as far as the date of the Ramayana is concerned, uh, I think Pushkar Bhatnagar uh, um, wrote that book dating the era of Lord Rama using the same methodology that Nilesh Nilkant Oak uses. For the record, I totally disagree with Nilesh Nilkant Oak's dates. Now all the Nilesh Nilkant Oak fans in the live chat can start abusing me. One, two, three, go. Okay, now that I have said that, I my, I follow what uh, B.B. Lal did. B.B. Lal's date of the Ramayana. Uh, B.B. Lal dated the Mahabharata. Now you can extrapolate the date of the Ramayana using uh, B.B. Lal's work. As far as I'm concerned, uh, the date of the Ramayana, uh, you know, Pushpar, again, Pushkar Bhatnagar's methodology, I don't agree. Wait, I will search the book right now. I apologize for doing this, uh, uh, this search writing because I did not know that uh, you were, guys were going to uh, yeah, so it is a book by Pushkar Bhatnagar. It is available on Amazon. If you want to read, our, you know, that astronomical data stuff, uh, I, I I don't buy that date uh, personally. But it's a very interesting way of looking at uh, the era. In fact, something Ami had written about this astronomical uh, work and stuff like that in the Mahabharata book. I remember in the latter half of the book, you have written it. Uh, so... But that was mainly to say that there is work going on and there are astronomical references which are mentioned and there is work going on on that. I hadn't put my foot down and said, said 
I hadn't said that this is the date or this is not the date. It was just to say there is work happening. That's it. No, so if people, you know, I'll just share the screen for the benefit of the viewers. I'm just doing it for the benefit of the viewers. So there is work done on this subject. It's not that it hasn't been done. Look, this is Amazon's book. Dating the Era of Lord Ram. And this is a very old book. I read it many years ago. I think I read this book in like 2010 or something. If I remember, I read it in 2010 or 11. And uh, that is uh, that that is one book that has worked on it. As far as I'm concerned, the best way to date the era of Ramayana would be like this: we we date the Mahabharat using the tools provided to us now by Bibilal in his excavations. Then we work from that and we look at the Sanoli excavations. Now there is a robust debate happening within the Sanoli excavations between the archaeological community, which some archaeologists say that we cannot push the date of the Mahabharata back. And some say we should push the bait of the Mahabharata back, considering some of the artifacts that have been found in Sanoli. And they look similar in, in terms of, you know, how corded were, gray were, wo sab jo baat karte uski. and from that we can extrapolate. And we can extrapolate certain things and work on the Ramayana. Now, the problem that comes in the dating of the Ramayana is there is an active group, albeit a minority inside the Indology departments, uh, a.k.a. Sheldon Pollock. But why I'm mentioning Sheldon Pollock is because he is the torchbearer and the chief translationist of the Murthy library. So to say that we don't take him seriously is a straw man. If you ask me, here is an Indian billionaire who is giving, you know, tons of money to Sheldon Pollock to basically translate Indian epics. And they are there in every major uh, library in India. Uh, Murthy library books are there available. Although the Ramayana is usually considered to be uh, like 1500 to 2000 years before uh, before the Mahabharata. Interestingly, a person I have deep respect for, in fact, I use his translations also, uh, Vivek Dev Royji. Even him in his book, in the introduction on the Ramayana, is, you know, he's like, I'm not sure about the date of the Ramayana himself. I personally feel... Uh, the story of the Ramayana happening before the Mahabharata. I mean, let us talk about that. Is easily provable through mentions in both the epics. Don't you think? Yes, absolutely. As in, if somebody says that Ramayana happened after Mahabharata, I mean, people can go around doing a lot of things. But in general, I think it's very easy to, to, to derive, to come to the conclusion that Ramayana happened before because of multiple reasons. One, you find the mention of Ramayana in Mahabharata. You do not find any mention of Mahabharata in Ramayana. Yeah? You find some very old stories, but not really the, the, the Mahabharata, nothing related to that. Uh, second, even if you see the kind of urbanization, if you see the kind of weaponry used, if you see the war strategy, Everything is a lot more advanced in Mahabharat than what you see in Ramayana. Yeah, just even the way uh, the Janapadas have developed by the time of Mahabharat is a lot more advanced than what you see in uh, in Ramayana. So, just based on the story and its context, or you know the whole thing around it, and the fact that you find a lot of mention of Ramayana in Mahabharat. I can very easily have that Shraddha that Ramayana happened before Mahabharata. All right. Fair enough. I think that's a fair enough answer. Now, you know, a lot of people got uh, angry about, uh, you know, me talking about the Pushpak Vimana being not real. I mean, 
I don't know what to do, but I will request you to go and check the facts of this article. This was written in 2015. IISC research debunked long ago, myth of ancient Indian flying. I want you guys to have an open mind. I want you guys to go and read about it. See, getting mad at me, getting angry at me is not going to change this. We have beautiful things in our scriptures that are there. We don't need these things to just make these points. You just weaken the case of people like me, at least. I mean, that's all I'm saying. Anyways, so, okay, this question, Ami, because you deal with it in the, I think, in the book also. So, I'm what do you, what's your view on Shambhuka Vadha? Is it justified? So Shambhuka Vadha is an interesting episode, right? General understanding of Shambhuka Vadha is that he was killed only and only because he was a Shudra and there was no other reason for his death. And that he was killed because he was doing tapasya. Now, there, if we if we want to label a society based on this one incident, we must find other precedences, right? Paleto, let's understand what this episode itself was. It is said that there was a kid who died in Ram's Rajya and Ram's Rajya was such that nobody died before their age. So there is a kid who died and the father comes and he's like, something is wrong in this kingdom. Because if nothing was wrong, if everything was running, running the way it was, if everything was running in accordance with the law of nature, this wouldn't have happened. So Ram goes and sees what is going on. And he sees that there is this one guy, he's doing some very, very ugra tapasya. So he goes to him and he says that, Are, what are you doing? So this guy, uh, who are you? Who are you and what are you doing? So the, the man says, I am Shambhuk from the Shudra community. And I am doing this ugra tapasya because I want to win over the heavens. I want to win over that. Uh, and I want to go to Swarga with this body. Okay. And hence I'm doing this tapasya. And then what happens as a consequence? Ram takes his tarva and. Okay. So basically, where this kid dies before age in Ram's Rajya, and the father says that something is wrong, something is not in accordance with the natural laws, and hence you need to figure out that there is a dharma. Ho raha hai. So Ram jate and dekhne and he sees that ek banda hai wo ulta latka hua hai ulta latka ki kuch to bahut ugra tapasya kar raha hai so he goes to that person and says uh, who are you and what are you doing aap kya kar rahe ho to the the guy says i am shambhuk i am a shudra and i am doing this ugra tapasya because i want to go to the heaven with this body and i want to basically win over the swargalok so ram takes his sword and cuts his neck off and basically kills shambhuk and the kid comes to life again and then the reason generally understood is that because he was a Shudra, he couldn't do tapasya and hence he had to be killed. And then there is this whole thing that Achha, treta yug mein shudra tapasya nahi kar sakte, kal yug mein kar sakte. So it's fine. Okay. And then this whole thing became about caste. So my thing is that if this had happened, right, there should have been multiple instances before also. Or rather my question was, did it happen before? Were there other Two questions. Other Shudras who are shown to do tapasya and were also killed or not killed? Because if there are other Shudras who are doing tapasya and they are allowed to live, then clearly this incident couldn't have been just about caste. One. Second, is there a precedence that somebody 
wanted to go to swarga with the body and he was not allowed to whatever be that stretcher now interestingly in the main part of mahabharat you have instances of both so shravan shravan kumar is actually uh, a, a a son of a vaishya father and a shudra mother okay he is also in that sense not a brahmin and he's he's shown to do tapasya he's in fact called a tapasvi he's called a muni right and nobody nobody tries to kill him only because he's trying to do tapasya shabri of course it's not very clear what exactly her jati is there and this whole bear khane wala episode is not there but she is also serving a rishi called matanga and she is also called a tapasvini okay so clearly aisa nahi tha ki tapasya as a whole was shunned for a community in the time of ram nahi to to inko bhi nahi karne dete then this shambhuk thing doesn't make sense and that is why when people say uttarakhand mein inconsistency hai to definitely inconsistency hai because nahi to pehle bhi hota theek hai if it was all about just caste but then let's assume this happened then could there have been another reason for it and then there is another story of trishanku which comes also in the main part of ramayan trishanku was a king he is actually one of the four fathers of ram like ram shri ram ke lineage mein wo aate hain and he wanted to get to swarga uh, with the body theek hai to wo apne guru hai vashishth unke paas jate hain and he says you conduct a yagna now he is not doing tapasya he is a raja right so he is like aap yagna karo aur mujhe swarg bhej do isi sharir mein and vashishth says aisa ho hi nahi sakta this is against the laws of nature to aisa tum expect bhi mat karo ki sa sharir tum swarg ja sakte ho that cannot happen so trishanku is very upset and he goes to the sons of vashishth and he says no you must do this for me i am the king you must do this tapasya for me uh, you must do this yagna for me and the son say ki nahi nahi aisa nahi kar sakta aap jao yahan se mere pitaji ne aapko mana kiya hai fir bhi aap aise kar rahe ho and they actually curse trishanku now there is this ongoing tussle enmity between vashishth and vishwamitra at that time because vishwamitra has not yet become vishwamitra this is before his time of vishwamitra when he was a rishi called kosh when he was a raja called kaushik and he wanted to become again brahma brahma balam to equal vashishtha so there is this ongoing thing there so he had become partly siddha but partly not he was doing he was doing he was doing tapasya at that time so trishanku goes to him and because now vishwamitra wants to prove that ha ha i can i can do whatever vashishtha does uh, rishi vashishtha does so then he says theek i will send you to swarga okay so he does some tapasya and sends trishanku to swarga but indra pushes him back so he falls back and then there is a story that acha fir bhi vishwamitra created some artificial swarga and sent him there right so now the point is this thing about going to swarga with sharir was not even allowed to trishanku who was a king so clearly that expectation itself was against the law of nature and when we talk about ram rajya the the description of ram rajya is like a perfect place where everything is in accordance with the law of nature now when we see it with this aspect shambhukvad then makes sense because then clearly there was an issue there right if the dead person is waking up or whatever he was unconscious or whatever so there is a direct connection established at that point that whatever shambhuk was doing was actually leading to the death of another person now let's take another question that was identity the only concern if shambhuk was not a shudra 
if he was say a brahmin and if as a brahmin he had done something which led to the death of some other person would ram have taken action or not then that is also another question to ask if this was all about only identity right now let's go back again ravan himself is a brahmin he is the son of uh, vishveshrava and the grandson of pulatsya rishi pulatsya so he was also a brahmin and Ra- ram did kill him as well just because he was an adharmi right so there could be multiple ways of looking looking at the shambhuk incident as well as i said right i have put this story in the epilogue because i wanted to bring out some of these aspects these connections are not directly made in ramayana they are not in uttarakhand it is pretty much just said that he is a shudra so he uh, that i am a shudra and i wanted to go to swarga in this body ram kills him and the sun is uh, away so this so i told you both sides now one what the incident actually happened and the other incidents which could be connected to this to say that it doesn't necessarily have to be about an identity but about the action per se which had a consequence so this is how i have looked at it but i must say this is how i have looked at it Now well, my answer is very simple. Uh, the defense of the Mahabharata cannot be taken because if the Mahabharata is later, then you cannot extrapolate what the Ramayana was thinking based on what the Mahabharata was thinking. A because there are from a different era. But Mahabharata, Mahabharata came after. Trishanku isn't Ramayana. I understand the Trishanku argument, but you, know, you use the Mahabharata also as an example of you know certain places. Mahabharata says this. Mahabharata says that. No, no, no. I'm talking only Ramayana now. Sorry, Jobi, I have already said that is purely from Ramayana, not taking. So this whole Shravan incident is Mahabharat. Sorry, is Ramayana. That this I understand, but I'm just talking about Ramayana. that. Ar- yeah, yeah, I understand that. I'm just talking about the argument you made in the beginning about the Mahabharata. That I think is uh, problematic from a logical perspective because uh, I will not use a later text to defend. No, I don't understand Mahabharata. कहाँ मैंने references में use किया? You literally use the word Mahabharat, or miss? I may have misheard you. You no, so Mahabharata. if I now use the word Mahabharat, I said it by mistake. Okay. All the Fair things enough. which I have said is from Ramayana only. So okay. all the examples that I gave are all Ramayana. Actually, I say Ramayana Mahabharat, Ramayana Mahabharat. बहुत बोलती हूँ ना तो वो कई बार confuse होता है. तो अभी के context में in Shambhuk whether there is no Mahabharat reference at all. Just to clarify, if I have said it, I am sorry. This is all from within Ramayana. Okay. Yes. See, my answer is very simple. It's a problematic story. it can be rejected why do mental gymnastics around it i don't agree with that story i don't agree with the final conclusion i don't agree with the action end of story it's such so a simple answer so, you know you kushal you are right if you just say you don't agree right but to use this and say that oh everything was castus is where i have an issue because to prove it was castus you need to have more precedences or examples of that one incident cannot be used to to brand a story or a person right to call ram castus ye ek use kar diya to nahi ho sakta so if we assume that this is true then there are other connections to be made to say this need not necessarily be only about identity that's my it, that's my small point here yeah but uh, if it is not just about identity a it could be about identity y that is fine just because it is about x y y and z doesn't mean it is also not about x first point number 1 so it's never if it is if there are more variables if that is the argument one of the variables is also that that has correct but asked. that's why i said so the question is have there been other exes which have been killed for doing the
चल अभी मैं नेक्स्ट क्वेश्चन लेता हूँ आर देर एनी फॉरन हिस्टोरिकल रिलीजियस ऑथर्स वर्क दैट इन्फ्लुएंस अमी जी इज राइटिंग I try not to use. In fact, I don't even refer to the English translations because I think it impacts the language. So I go with the traditional text. So typically, it's Gita Press. But for Mahabharat, I had used the Gauri Critical Edition. Uh, for Ramayana, it is pretty much been the Gita Gita Press. Okay. Now, Buddha has been mentioned in the Valmiki Ramayana. Does that help timing the Ramayana? This Buddha has not been mentioned. Okay, so I know why exactly. this is coming. Exactly, that that that's what I wanted to say. Where has he been mentioned? Ka mentioned? I know he is mentioned because there is a word called Buddha. Okay. Yeah. Now that's not the Buddha. We, we have we call Pandit Nehru. Okay. Yeah. So now, if Pandit, if we see the word Pandit in the other text, clearly the word Pandit exists in the other text, right? Would does it mean they are talking about Pandit Nehru? No. Buddha just means a wise wise person. so when word buddha is come gautam buddha got that name because he was wise that doesn't mean buddha as a word was never used before gautam buddha so the word buddha is not used for buddhists in mahabharat it is just used for wise people that's it yeah you know this is the problem uh, when when we have these kinds of straw man arguments uh, it's just it's just um arya like the word arya so I'll tell you what has happened recently. I tweeted this out also. I'm just using this as an analogy again. So I just we just finished. We wrapped up our Rigveda discussion, and in the Rigveda discussion, there was this very interesting verse, which is uh, uh, why I'm using the word Arya as an example is to actually bolster your point on Buddha. So the verse uh, is कहाँ गया यार मेरे कोई six thirty three three था शायद मगर फिर भी मुझे डबली कंफर्म करना है इसके लिए मैं चेक कर रहा हूँ कहाँ गया यार आई थिंक इट वॉज सिक्स थर्टी थ्री थ्री लेमी चेक एक मिनट सो द वर्स इज वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग एंड आई टेल यू वाई इट इज वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग बिकॉज द पीपल हु यू नो एट टाइम्स मेक दीज ब्रांडिशिंग क्लेम्स अबाउट मेनी थिंग्स या इट्स सिक्स and let me open uh, open the rigveda that i have over here and i'll just read the verse out and see how fascinating this verse it and how many problems it creates for people uh who who make the claim of a aryan migration or an aryan invasion right uh, now what is the classic trope that is given every time that the dasas and dasyus are the natives and they come in and uh, they were like you know attacked blah 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 and by the way the tone and tenor of griffith wilson stephanie berreton all the same no variation in three translations so i'm just using one to read but three say the same thing so one of the things that the verse says is very interesting the verse says you o champion smite both kinds of enemies the dasa and the area obstacles like trees with hatchets with your well placed cloaks break them apart in the battles o most manly of men now what does this tweet what does this basic verse say you're going to smite both kinds of enemies the dasas are also the enemies the aryas are also the enemies what is the popular poppycock that has been sold these aryas came in 
the Dasas and the Dasyus are natives and they kind of have this fight. These Aryas win over the Dasas and the Dasyus. But now somebody, so I thought about it, what could be the possible argument somebody might come back. So one of the arguments somebody might come back, and by the way, this is from the sixth book. And I am reading the Rigveda from a Talagirian worldview, where even the internal chronology of the Rigveda is, I am assuming, sixth is the number one book. Number one book, the first ever book of the Rigveda inside the family books. So imagine this is written in the family books in the first book, this verse. Now somebody might come and say there are quantitatively more verses that talk about fighting the Dasas and the Dasyus. Point taken. But there are two, three occasions when they talk about in the sixth, I'm not talking about seven... Uh, or others. I'm just talking about number six. They talk about fighting Aryas also. So what is the most likely conclusion that an open-minded person who does not care if Aryan invasion is true or not should take based on the Rigveda? That the Arya word basically sometimes might connote a tribal identity. That, Like even Talagiri says, yes, it sometimes does connote a tribal identity. But by and large, it basically means a noble person or, 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 or a person depicting certain qualities. Why I'm using this as an example is to bolster your Buddha point. That it, it so is actually, not just the Buddha point, Kushal. I, I talk about the Arya and Arya specifically for the, in the Ramayana context. Because a lot of people have said that the Ramayana actually is a Aryan Ram killing the Dravidian Rakshas, uh, Dravidian Ravan. So they've given a racial conflict to that as well. Now, it's very interesting. In Ramayana, Arya, Ravan is called Arya by Mandodari and his otherwise. Ram, of course, is Arya. Sugriva and Vali are called Arya by their wives. Yeah? Similarly, Kaika is called Anarya for whatever her action is. So everybody is called Arya and Anarya based on what their action is. Now, it is possible that, as you said, it could have meant as a tribal racial gay as well. But then it means everybody was basically an Arya only, right? Be it Ravan or be it Sugri or be it Hanuman or be it Sri Ramji, however. So even within the way, the way Arya is used within Ramayana, it does not any way show that it was an Aryan versus a Dravidian conflict of Ram and Ravan just because it's Aryan Dravidian. So, so it actually proves that point as well. So I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, no. The, in fact, 633.3 is the biggest problem to solve for Aryan invasion and Aryan migration apologists. It is a big problem to solve. Like if you look at it from a Talagirian perspective, where Talagiri clearly says this is just book of the Rigveda is nothing but the book of the Purus. And if you look at it from the book of the Purus perspective, now it is so natural what the Purus are writing about. Sometimes the Purus have problems with certain tribes, which they call Arya. Sometimes the Purus have problems with certain tribes that they call Dasa or Dasyu. It is literally a book of tribal conflict. Anybody who reads the Rigveda with an unbiased, open mind will come up with the conclusion that Talagiri comes with. Uh, are everything that Shrikan Talagiri sir says absolutely 100% right? I don't know, right? I am not that advanced in my research as Shrikan Talagiri is. But whatever I have read in my life, how many people who have made the claim about this and as a humble student who actually reads scriptures for now more than a decade plus, I can tell you the Talagiri lens is the most sensible lens I have come across. Especially in looking at this whole Arya Dasa Dasyu conflict. I mean, when I re when I was having this discussion this very Sunday on 633.3 with some of us who are having this discussion, 
I had to tweet it out. I just mentioned this. Six thirty-three three is fascinating. I did not want to go anywhere because I was waiting to come That's on the podcast. Good. That's all. Now you go read six thirty-three three and tell me how do you justify an Aryan invasion after that? Because this is the family books. Hmm. The Aryas are fighting Aryas also. Are you trying to tell me that? So please decide. Carlo, which side pe ho? Now it still does not mean that I am convinced about the Indian homeland. That is a separate issue, but I definitely am not convinced about the South South Russian homeland on this. Now let me ask you because I because I want to see if there is any other question left. I just want to be absolutely doubly sure I have not missed any question. No, it seems we have taken all the questions. So, okay, चल मैं एक तेरे को last uh, last question तेरे को पूछ लेता हूँ before mm-hmm. going. So, what is what is going to be the next book? क्या लिखने वाली है? पता नहीं यार अभी लिखना शुरू नहीं किया है दो तीन टॉपिक्स हैं माइंड में लेट्स सी आई आई टेल यू व्हेन 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 समथिंग गेट्स क्रिस्टलाइज्ड अभी कुछ नहीं है अमी गणात्रा होल्डिंग हर कार्ड्स क्लोज बट आई आई होप समथिंग कम्स बट हाँ नथिंग येट या वेल यू नो एंड आल्सो जस्ट वन थिंग अबाउट द बुद्धा रामा डायलॉग even griffith considers it to be a later interpolation just fii humans even an indologist considers it to be a later interpolation and thanks to my moderator who has sent me uh, an urgent email he's like bhaiya ye dikha do and i agree with you tune acha kaam kiya hai kya so yeah yeah so this is you know so they are using this as the translation so yeah So this is the translation. We rank the Buddhist with the thief and all the impious crew who share the sinful disbelief. Yeah, basically, uski baat kar rahe hain. Now, basically, even the interpolation bit. Abhi yar, if you are going to use the indologist as your proof, then at least have the courtesy to read this. The dialogue between Rama and Jabali is finished in the first loka in which Rama is not depicted as annoyed. In his translation, Griffith calls these lines manifestly spurious and cautions that these need to be regarded with suspicion. There you go. Like I said, I am not even going to use Griffith as my defense. I am going to use. Um, um, the logic that i used to explain the rama angle from the arya and arya kind of angle that a lot of times the words that are used and the context in which the words are used are very different and uh, please be very careful when you study indian scriptures which is why i always say read multiple translations which is why even in the ramayana i have resorted to one hindi translation which is the geeta press gorakhpur one uh, english translation even when i'm doing my sessions is the bibek devroy translation and you can also use a western indologist translation there is nothing wrong in it if you in fact if you read multiple translations you you re, you learn more you understand better and you gain more so i'll leave it at that and uh, ami as far as uh, uh, you are concerned i'm really happy that you've written now two books mai to tere ko hamesha bolta tha likhne ko तूने फाइनली मेरी बात मान ली कुछ सालों बाद सो गुड ऑन यू एंड कंग्रेचुलेशन एंड थैंक्स फॉर कमिंग थैंक यू सो मच 
All right, guys. So in the description of the podcast, I have left the link a of Ami's Twitter handle. Go follow her on Twitter. Please troll her. Maza aega. Maa bhi thoda hasunga piche se iske saath. Baad mein uh, also please go and buy the book. First of all, if you have not even bought the Mahabharata Unraveled book, wo bhi jaake karido and buy the Ramayana Unraveled book. Uh, Ami is a beautiful author. I you know she writes uh, very well. I wish I could write as well as her, but she has. Uh, better skills uh, when it comes to the writing department at least i i wish i had half her uh, ability to write she also has an amazing blog spot by the way i have left the link to her blog spot too so go and check her blog spot out too as far as i'm concerned you guys know the drill please uh, subscribe to the charvak podcast youtube channel please like this video please leave your comments in the uh, description you know in the comment section and if you want to support the charvak podcast you know the drill you can uh, become a member on youtube or on patreon or you can buy the merch on kushalmehra.com or on kadak merch or you can send your donations through upi i'll see you guys next time until then take care bye bye